Welcome to The Church Door, a place where I can post my Bible studies and sermons for your listening pleasure. I'm the Reverend Matthew Fenn, pastor of St. Peter's Evangelical Lutheran Church in Stratford, Ontario. Thanks for tuning us in. Welcome, everybody, to our Bible study for this evening. The Bible study is Revelation chapter 16, the seven bowls. Um, We'll dig into this as best we can, see what we can uncover. We've got only a few more weeks left. Uh, We'll be finished right about the end of June or so. Um. All the fire and judgment is almost done in Revelation. So, almost. But before we begin, let's um, offer up a word of prayer. O Lord, you have caused your holy scriptures to be written for our learning. May we so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by the patience and comfort offered by your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast to the blessed hope of eternal life, which is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. All right. And, and as always, I'll read the chapter to, to get a sense of, the, of the, where we are. Um, once again, for those listening on the recording, I'm reading from the Kingdom New Testament, uh, translated by N.T. Wright, a little bit of a different translation, trying to give you a bit of a different feel here. Then I heard a loud voice coming from the temple, addressing the seven angels. Off you go, said the voice, and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of God's anger. So the first one went off and poured out his bowl on the earth, and foul, painful sores came on the people who had the mark of the monster and who had worshipped its image. The second one poured his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of from a corpse. Every living thing in the sea died. The third one poured his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water, and they turned into blood. Then I heard the angel of the waters saying, You are the one who, who is and who was. You are the Holy One, and you are just. You have passed the righteous sentence. They spilled the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink. They deserve it. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, your judgments are just and true. Then the fourth angel poured his bowl upon the sun, and it was allowed to burn people with his fire. People were burned up by its great heat, and they cursed the name of God who had authority over these plagues. They did not repent or give him glory. The fifth angel poured his bowl upon the throne of the monster. Its kingdom was plunged into darkness and people chewed their tongues because of the pain and cursed the God of heaven because of their agonies and their terrible sores. They did not repent of what they had been doing. Then the sixth angel poured his 
Bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up in order to prepare the way for the kings from the rising sun. Then I saw three unclean spirits coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the monster, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They were like frogs. These are the spirits of demons who perform signs and go off to the kings of the whole earth to gather them together for war on the great day of Almighty God. Look, I am coming like a thief. God's blessing on the one who stays awake and on those who keep their robes about them so as not to go around naked and have their shame exposed. And they gathered the kings together at the place which in Hebrew is called Mount Megiddo. Then the seventh angel poured his bowl on the air, and the loud voice came out of the temple from the throne. It is done, said the voice. And there were lightnings and rumblings and thunderclaps and a great earthquake, such as there never had been before. No, not such a great earthquake since the time that humans came on the earth. The great city was split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. Then Babylon the Great was recalled in the presence of God, so that he could give her the cup of the wine of his anger. Every island fled away, and the mountains disappeared. Enormous hailstones, each weighing a hundred pounds, fell from the sky on the people. They cursed God because of the plague of hail, because its plague was terrible. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, isn't that quite the chapter? Let's uh, just jump right into it there. There are seven plagues. Um, I tried my hardest to find questions relating to all the plagues, but I think there was one plague I could not conjure a question up for. Um, so let's start with the first question here. This is kind of a, a broad view kind of question, trying to get you to see um, some connections here in the book of Revelation. To a large extent, these visions repeat scenes of disaster that were depicted earlier in the book, specifically the seven seals and the seven trumpets. Seven seals are in chapters six and eight, and the seven trumpets uh, begin in chapter nine. What significance do you think there is in repeating the threatening visions multiple times? What might the repetition say about the purposes of God for the world? So we're, we're talking about here the fact that, that Revelation has three sets of judgments, and they're quite similar in some respects. So why do you think that is? George, you're not, you're muted. Yeah. There you go. Sorry. Uh, repetition emphasizes how dramatic the events will be. Yep. Yep. That, that's, that's absolutely true. Repetition for emphasis. That's, um, that's a, tri a tried and tested uh, uh, key to public speaking as well. Repetition for emphasis. <laughs> And how serious what, it is. And how serious it is. Absolutely. Um, does this also show that God is warning us to give us multiple opportunities to repent? 
Yes, absolutely. And especially, um, especially in the context of the narrative of revelation, that is exactly the case. Um, um, how that relates to real life is not, is not overly plain, but it's clear that in revelation, God gives the people multiple chances to repent in, in the, the story that net revelation paints, right? He does that throughout the Old Testament. Yes, he well. does. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and did you notice anything else from this, um, this this connection between the seven the, the earlier judgments and these judgments? No. Um, well, if you look specifically the, um, at the trumpets, right? So I'll, I'll just quickly run through the trumpets. The, the trumpet, the first, the location of the first trumpet is on the earth and it contains a hail and fire. Um, the second trumpet is on the sea and the sea turns to blood. The third trumpet, the rivers and springs of water turn bitter. Um, uh, the third trump, fourth trumpet is heaven, but there's darkness. Um, the fifth location is, is on the abyss, and it contains locusts. The sixth trumpet is on the Euphrates, and it contains a horde of armies. And the seventh trumpet, God's kingdom comes, and there's hail and thunder and lightning. Does it sound similar? <laughs> yep. Sounds yeah. similar to the plagues on in Egypt. In Egypt. Yes. Oh, sorry. <clears throat> I haven't read the questions yet. <laughs> um, yes. No, that's um, the next question gets into that. And that's, well, since you mentioned that, let, let's go there. But I, I just wanted you to see, and, and hopefully it's apparent, that the things you've had before, the, the trumpets, right? They're here now. There are differences um, in the seals, the seven seals and the seven trumpets. There's this big interlude each time. Remember? And in the seven, the seven seals, the interlude is the sealing of the 144,000, right? Um, and seven trumpets, there's something else. It's just escaping my mind now. Um, here in this chapter, is there an interlude? No. It goes straight to the end, right? The other, if you notice the other ones, it takes like two chapters of Revelation to get through all of the sea. Here it's boom, boom, boom. Um, and um, I think uh, the previous one, it was a, um, um, I, I think the, the, the intensity of these have, has increased as well. As well. Um, the, the, the universal scope and dimension and that kind of thing. Um, let me just see my notes here. Um, um, so as, as we move into um, 
looking at the background to the the, the first, um, it's it's important to see that the first four, the first four plagues kind of are are a team, if you want to call it that, and the and the last three kind of go together. Um, that that's important to, to see. Uh, um, they're kind of tied together. Um, where is that? Um, yeah, so um, the point is also, well, we can get into that in a second. Let's, let's move into the next question and just move this conversation along. Um, how are the first three bowls and the fifth bowl like the plagues of Egypt? And there's reference there to Exodus 9, 7, and 10 in case you forget the plagues of Egypt. They're basically mirrored images of the same thing that happened in Egypt. Yeah, spell that out. Let, let, let's dot our I's and cross our T's. So the first... Stores, so water was the, turned to blood Yep. and the sun was darkened. Yep. Okay, yep. great. What, what other... Um, as, we're, as we're looking through this... Frogs what other, and boils. Frogs and boils. Thank you. Good. Yep. Yeah. Um, also, thunders and lightnings too are are, are similar. Um, newborns, the firstborn. Yep. So there's there's um. So you see now, what was the purpose of the plagues of Egypt? Was it to show God everybody how angry and nasty God was? Well, it was supposed to break down Pharaoh's heart to let the Israelites go, but instead it did the opposite to Pharaoh's heart. Funny how the chapter kind of, um, how does the, well, well, we'll see it in a future question here. Um, question. Um, anyway, one of these future questions here. I'm not seeing it here. Oh yeah, question four, we'll, we'll get into some more connections there. But that's right. Um, and, and so, why was it important to break down Pharaoh's heart? What, were, what was the accomplishment? What was trying to be done? To free the Israelites. Israelites, yeah. To free God, to free God's people, right? The Israelites from oppression. They were the oppressors, and, and the Israelites were being oppressed, and they were in slavery. And God was standing up and acting on their behalf. And that is, um, remember last week, we also saw that Exodus imagery as well. And so um, John wants you to see the Exodus imagery. Um, I'm not convinced that John wants you to sit down and look through each plague and say, now, what were, what did the boils represent? And what, but, um, you know, to, to, I don't think in this case, John wants you to do that. I think that, that what John's doing is he's, he's going through rapid fire succession, boom, 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 to get you to see with these hints to the Exodus, to get you to see the big picture. Um, and if you can catch what the purpose of the uh, plagues in the Exodus was, you can catch the sense of the, what these plagues are here. Um, just like 
the plagues in the Exodus are to free and liberate God's people, so too the plagues here in this chapter of Revelation are um, not, this isn't the final judgment, this isn't the destruction of the universe, that comes later, right? We're only in chapter 17, right? Uh, the individual judgment is explicitly mentioned later. This is not individual judgment. This is God acting on behalf of the church, his people. And hopefully the connection to Exodus and some other things in the chapter uh, uh, show, hopefully now that I've told you that, if you didn't catch that going through, now as you read it through again, it goes, ah, aha, yep, I see it now. Yeah, I, I made a note here that God will release us from uh, the beast, the dragon, and the false prophets through uh, their eternal punishment, just yep. like he punished Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. Right. And, and it's not a capricious punishment because in the case of, well, actually, we're going to wait. That's that's question four. I'm getting ahead of myself. All right. Let's move on to um, number three. What does the altar represent? We'll pause there. What does the altar represent? Remember in, in chapter uh, in 16 here is the altar all of a sudden speaking. The what does the souls. The martyred souls. Right. That's it's a simple thing, but I just wanted you to catch that in case you didn't. The altar speaking. What, you know, uh, it's referring to the church, the, mar the martyrs. Okay, great. So the martyrs are speaking, the church is speaking. In what ways do the words of the angel and the martyr confirm the song of the lamb that we read last week? So remember the song of the, song of the lamb last week, and they sang the song of uh, Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the lamb. Great and amazing are your deeds, Lord God, the almighty, just and true are your ways, king of the nations, Lord who will not fear you and glorify your name for you only are holy and the nations will come and worship before you for your judgments have been revealed. All right. So that's, so how, in what way do the words that are here from the angel and the altar, what, in what way do they confirm the same theme? Grace for a just God. Right. It, it's interesting, the contrast, um, because the martyrs were calling out how long, and now they're saying it is done. Huh. Yeah, yeah. Um. I was also thinking, too, that the altar is a place of sacrifice, and the martyrs' lives were sacrificed for their faith. Yep, that's... Um very reminiscent of Romans chapter eight. Remember that little line in there? Uh, we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. We are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered, but in all this, we are more than conquerors through him, right? Uh, very, yeah. Um, um, Paul also in Romans, he uses that sacrificial language of the Christian life quite frequently. Um, um Therefore, in light of the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable worship, right? Romans 12, chapter 1. Uh, so so those, are, those are also good ideas on why there's that connection between Christians 
and um, and the altar in heaven. Um, even if you're not a martyr for your faith, you're still called to be martyr-like in the fact that you're called to put to death uh, your sin that's in you daily um, and, and, and that kind of thing. And that's why the cry comes out from us, how long? Um, it, it's, it's a painful process, right? Having to put your, to put the, uh, to be constantly fighting with sin here in this life. And, and so we, we ache for God to step in and do something, right? Okay. Good. So we, we caught that theme, that theme that God's judgments are just. And, and why, why is it just that they, that um, the, the, so let's, who, upon whom, looking at these first um, uh, seven verses here, Upon whom are these um, uh, bowls poured? It's in verse two. Unbelievers. Unbelievers. Yep. Yeah, those who uh, had the mark of the beast or who worshipped its image, right? Um, and it's it's it, it, that also implies a little bit more than unbelievers, though I think they're included. It also implies those who um, refuse to repent. Yep, it includes those too. Um, it also includes those who compromised their faith, because you remember in Roman times, if if you pinched that incense to caesar if you called caesar was lord if you made that concession to the imperial cult you'd be allowed in and rome would stop persecuting you we don't care if you believe in some jesus god you have to you have to claim that caesar is god too right so it's that compromise that that there's a little hint of that idea of the compromise there um and that's a big issue in John's day, and it's a big issue in those opening letters, and it's a very huge issue today of people compromising the faith. So I just wanted to highlight that theme there. Um, okay, so why is it just for for them to, to drink blood in verse four? Six, six, sorry, six. Why is it just for them to drink blood? Because they spilled the blood of others. Right. Um, and by the way, the Greek word is the same. Because they poured out blood, they blood will be poured out. Right. Um, uh, it's the same. It's, it's a play on the same type of word. Um, so there's a, there's a pun going on there. Um, and you can't see it because they don't always, the pun doesn't work in English. Um, So, yeah, so what, what we're faced with here is not a, a mean or ill-tempered, bloodthirsty, careless God. 
Um, what we have here is a God who made the world, who is generous in his love um, towards the world. He, he sent his son to, to die for it, the lamb. Um, um, and if God does not hate the, the wickedness of the world, um, then he is not a good and loving God. Um, if God does not hate uh, the wickedness of communism and, and fascist systems and apartheid or whatever you, whatever it is, if God doesn't hate that, he's not a good and just God. Um, um, and so um, if he doesn't do step in and finally do something about these things, he's not a good and just God. And so that what you see here is because God, because it, his nature is love. He's stepping in and doing something. Um, now he doesn't step in every single time we call upon him, um, but he will step in. Um, if he stepped in early, um, uh, there'd be many who have not repented yet who might be lost. Um, and so God is patient. Uh, it, it says, uh, because he desires all to re be, to repent, um, um, so God lets he he lets evil run its course, um, and, and there's a, there'll be a moment in which only he can judge when he'll say nope enough's enough and he steps in. Um, so that's important to see. The other important thing to see here is um, that God's wrath is also it's not always like what are the things that he's pouring his bowl on in these first the bowl of wrath on did you notice it's the natural world right it's the the sea the earth, river yeah. the, the fresh waters the sun the earth right um so um, there are natural consequences for our sin, right? God lets, uh, Romans chapter one style, God let, lets, gives them up and lets them have their way. Um, uh, he stops restraining them. And so even creation seems to fight against them. That's the, the idea here in these first, uh, first few plagues. Um, okay. Um, so the, like, like we said, we want to highlight this fact here that these plagues are designed to to get the world, get us to repent in the face of imminent doom. Right. Uh, the words in Revelation here are not to scare us about some coming uh, great disaster that'll be worse than any movie that we've ever seen. Uh, the point is to get us to uh, to repent uh, before our before our doom. Um, 
Um, yeah. Okay. Let's look at the next question. Um, how might those, um, how might those afflicted with these plagues have responded to them? How might they have? That's the key. Not how did they respond. That's the next part of the question. How might they have responded? They might have been repentant. They might have been repentant. Right. Um, can you think of any examples in the Bible where God did that? He, 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 he was hard on some people or a person, and they actually did repent. Jonah. Jonah, that's a good example, <laughs> right? And when the uh, people in the wilderness, the Israelites, um, got bitten by snakes, and then the yep. snake on the pole. Yep, that's oh. right. I also think of uh, probably the hardest example is Manasseh. Do you guys know the story of Manasseh? Manasseh was the worst of all the kings in Israel. The absolute worst he is cited um as the reason why god sends sends the babylonians finally it's him he burnt his kids up in living sacrifice to he was he was a terrible terrible guy he was eventually captured and brought away and lived the rest of his days in exile being captured but in his capture he repented yeah. He repented, um, and um, um, and he's he's listed as having a good end, even though he was a terrible king. Um, and and, and um, so uh, it's an inter it's an interesting story. In the apocrypha, there is a made up prayer as if he repented, and Luther absolutely loved it because uh, it's a really good prayer. Um, but those are some good examples. So they should have repented. That that's that that's obvious. All right. How do they actually respond? They certainly didn't repent. Uh, <laughs> they cursed God, and they did not give Him any glory. That's right. And it says it three times, doesn't it? Um, just in case you know we didn't we didn't get the hint in, in verse uh, in verse nine. Um, and they did not repent and then I think in also verse 11 and they did not repent and was there another one? I thought there was another one 21 I cursed God there you go Yep. The, the, so now what does that remind you of? That's right. It's like Pharaoh. Um, um, Pharaoh, these plagues were intended to get Pharaoh to, to, to recognize, hey, you, your gods aren't the ones in charge. I'm in charge. I'm God. Why don't you let my people go? Or you'll have a world of hurt. Um, and um, he refused to let his people go. Um, and he suffered the consequence for it. He ends up, um, uh, notice the similarities. He ends up 
even when he does let them go, he regrets it and he gets all his armies together and they're trapped by the sea and it looks hopeless as this big army comes towards them and he should know better, um, <laughs> but he doesn't. Um, it it kind of makes me a little mindful too of St. Peter uh, when he was denying Christ over and over again and finally repented. Yep, yep. And, you know, he had plenty of warning that this was going to happen. Right. Um, so how does this emphasize the justice of God's judgments? The justice of them. Well, they unrepent and deserve their punishment. They've been given lots of chances. They've been given lots of chances. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's and it's God not wants worth... everybody to repent. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and um so um when we see this as a angry, wrathful God bent on punishing evil, wicked sinners, um we're not quite catching the sense of the passage when we see this as a loving parent enacting punishments and restrictions on their children in order to get them to kind of wake up and recognize the errors of what they've done. We're closer to the sense of what's going on here. I'm sure there were times in which um, you enacted punishments on your kids in order to get them to wake up to something they've they did wrong right uh to to get them to (laughs) recognize hey that was wrong i shouldn't have done that and you know you don't punish them because you take a sadistic glee in punishing them yes you will be sent to your room for a week <laughs> you know we're not no, we're not like that and god's not like that either uh-huh. this is this is going to hurt you hurt me more than it's going to hurt you that's right that also implies it also implies something that we should um, be mindful of now um, for us, right? God's, that, that means not only them out there. How does this apply to us? How we God. respond to each other? close god is giving us a chance here and now to repent of our own sins right um and yet if if i preach the law in all of its sternness which i don't do i always hold back when i even my hardest sermons i'm still holding back uh, because if I'm to preach the law in all of its hardest, people are going to curse me <laughs> and, and um, it'll have, it'll be counterproductive. Um, right. Um, if I went up into the pulpit and started saying, listen, you know, abortion is murder. Homosexuality is a sin. And I just start going down through the list. Do you mind? I, I, I won't be long in the pulpit. I'll probably be in a jail cell somewhere. Right. Uh, <laughs> or something like that. You, 
or, or I'll get nasty calls from parishioners. Um, so, but God, the purpose is not for the purpose of the law in the church is not for us to be self-righteous. <laughs> it's the, it's to realize that we are part of the problem and we need to do the repenting too. Right. Um, so if there's something hard uh, in my sermons or in the Bible or in some Christian book you read or whatever, uh, some other pastors sermons, um, the point then is not um well, I don't like that. That's that. That's too hard. Or you start feeling guilty, and it's like, well, you know, uh, getting mad. The point is to examine yourself and see, oh goodness, um, is there something true in that? Um, and having this introspective moment where you actually confess your guilt and repent and acknowledge that God is right, because that's what um, uh, that's what blaspheme means it means to dishonor god's name um, um and it's it's to say that god is in the wrong essentially um for doing what he's doing um i forget where it was uh, i asked lauren to find it today and, and and she couldn't remember what it was but somebody probably some some sort of Mark some sort of person from communist Russia because that's what she's been reading on recently um, once said if God if God God doesn't exist but if he did exist we'd have to fight against him because he's a terrible person <laughs> right um, that's a common attitude um, out there uh, or to the other other people who are atheists you know um, um, I forget how it goes. God doesn't exist, and he's very, and, and you're very angry at him. <laughs> it's, it's, if you know these, uh, this kind of thing. Okay. Um. So we see that this emphasizes, um. This emphasizes, um. This isn't. Um. Uh, this is this is about bringing the people to repentance. This is not um, necessarily about um, a sadistic God gleefully punishing evil, wicked sinners. Um, now, a lot of people just in, you know, in the last uh, week or so with all the residential school findings and stuff, um, you know, they seen what, uh, and it wasn't just the Catholic church. There were other churches involved and the government and that, and they believed back then that they were justified in doing what they were doing because they were saving souls. Right. Yeah. No. Now what would God think of what we did? <laughs> yeah. God is, um, the, um, just because Christianity is the true religion does not mean all of its pr practitioners <laughs> and professors um, um, are on the straight and narrow, right? Um, well, how does Jesus say, by their what will you know them? By their right doctrine? No. 
by their fruits, you will know them, right? Um, that means, you know, um, that, that kind of thing. Do, you know, what did Jesus say? Um, you know, golden rule, right? Uh, do unto others as you would have done to you. Um, uh, so not, it, it's, it's important not only to believe right things, it's also important to live a Christian life uh, because otherwise um, God's name is dishonored. It's blasphemy. People speak ill of God. Um, oh, if that's the way Christians are, then I want nothing to do with it. Right. Um, and back at that time, they were using a lot of thoughts and, and stuff from the Old Testament ways, you know, as with regards to the law and mm -hmm. um, that the native people were very sinful and they needed to, you know, and so they were coming down as being harsh and terrible, literally horrible to these little kids, right? And snatching them away from their families and that. People are right. You also need to be mindful that uh, not every one of the people involved were doing this out of the idea that they were going to be saving souls. There were a lot of evil people that did a lot of evil right. things. But that, that's what uh, the archbishop, in, like in the news, was saying that that was the thought back then that they were, you know, if, if they died, at least their soul was going to be saved, right? It, yeah there's a lot you know there's a lot of sadness in it right and, and people right. uh very evil people will use the bible for terrible means you know right by saying that it's right when it really isn't and that's right. that um false uh what is it you know we're we're saying the, the false god or whatever people <laughs> the beast that you know <laughs> deceiving everybody and that's it's right. come within the church like this kind of stuff is when you look at it and, and after we've been discussing revelations, you kind of, you know, see what John is talking about. Right. Or at least in, in, in the, in its application in our day, for sure. Absolutely. Um, good. Question five. Why do you think Jesus interrupts? He cuts in the vision of the sixth bowl uh, with the urgent word in verse 15. Uh, compare that with Luke 12, 35 to 48. How can we apply this truth today? And it, there's a few more things, but let's take them one at a time. So, so here we have six in the middle of the sixth bowl. Um, why do you think Jesus... So he hasn't spoken since chapter three or four, four, three, three. He hasn't spoken since chapter three. And all of a sudden we have a quotation from the Lord himself pop right into the middle of this vision. And you can tell it happened at any time. Uh, <laughs> yes. the night. Yep. And yeah, I, 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 enough law for now. Here's a little gospel. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Blessed is the one who stays awake. Why is it important to stay awake? What does it mean to stay awake? Be vigilant. Mm -hmm. what, what? Be ready. What, what? What do you think that implies? What is it talking about? 
so you can resist the temptation of the devil. Right. Yeah. If, if you're not paying attention, the devil can soon mislead you. Ah, good. You're, 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 now you're on the right track. Paying attention the devil and, and the devil misleading. Okay, so what do we need to be paying attention to? That's, that's a good question. Can you hold on to that? Hold on to that because we'll get it. Um, we'll, we'll get to it, I think. Um, yep, next question. Let's come, on, let's come back to that next question. All right, so Luke, <coughs> Luke 12. Luke 12. Um, you can always tell what... <laughs> This is authentic Jesus because it sounds like I'm a thief in the night. Where have we heard that before? Um, <laughs> um, Luke 12. Uh, I'll, I'll read that little section. It's not long. Uh, Luke 12, 35. Be dressed for action uh, and have your lamps lit. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return upon, uh, from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down and eat and he will come and serve them. If he does, if he comes during the middle of the night or near dawn and finds them, uh, them so, blessed are those slaves. But know this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have had, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour and an unexpected hour. Um, yeah, that's good enough. And I have it a little bit more, but that's the sense you, you catch the sense. Um, yeah. We, we also see this in the parable of the wise and stupid virgins. <laughs> Why is it stupid version? Foolish, foolish. Oh, okay, foolish. The <laughs> <laughs> wise and stupid virgins. I, I actually heard an Anglican priest refer to it as that one time. <laughs> that's. I'm going to take note of that because that's a good sermon title right there. <laughs> uh, but, um, so, how? Um, so the question then is. How do we apply this truth now? Why is this blessing so important in this context? And, and, and why do we also need to wake up to what's happening around us in the world? Because we see people falling away from the church every day. Mm -hmm. They are not paying attention. They're being lured away by other things in the world. They no longer see the truth. That's that's exactly right. Um, lulled into complacency too. Lull, absolutely yep. lulled into complacency. Um, so um, th there are two ideas here uh, of keeping alert, like a watchman, w w paying attention to what's going on around you, paying attention to the actions of the enemies. Uh, there's also the idea of being ready for action uh that kind of thing um so that that implies not only do we have to be looking out there at what's going on we also need to be looking in here 
as to here in in here as to what's going on right um the enemy can be out there the enemy can also be in here and um we need to be walk, keep our eyes on both both the uh front door and the back door so to speak and so jesus is saying he's offering not necessarily a warning uh but a blessing a blessing on the one who stays awake and he won't be naked and, exp and have his uh and, and, and exposed to shame uh i don't know about you but i don't want to be naked that'd be bad um uh, and it's revelation what are we clothed with righteousness that's right. The robes that are washed white in the blood of the lamb, right? That's chapter six. Um, so um, even though there is no interlude here, there's a little glimpse of one, right? Just, just a, a, a little peek um, of, of, of one. Um, so, so John, as these plagues become more and more terrible, um, some of the readers, some of the john's audience some of us might nod off spiritually um it's very easy to think oh yeah you know those people just got them are gonna get what's coming to them or or uh, those wicked they just deserve it but we're all we're all okay now we're all right we can just sit down and relax sit back and enjoy the movie have you ever seen that on facebook where a fight will break out and somebody will post the meme of the guy sitting back in his in his chair with the popcorn bucket watching the uh meaning you know the idea is oh that you guys are fighting and i'm finding this very entertaining please continue right uh that's the exact wrong attitude that, that uh, we're not supposed to have that kind of attitude towards the destruction of the wicked um um so John is saying um, that there is a real chance. There, there's not a real chance. That's the wrong word. There is um, the devil. The, John is in his own way saying um, the, the devil walks around like a roaring, roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Uh, so be firm, steadfast in your faith that you may resist him, right? This John is, you know, we're, we're, we're far more used to Paul's way of talking about things, right? Where Paul will say, take up the large shield of faith that you may fight against the, the evil one. But John is saying essentially the same thing, but he's doing it far more melodramatically. Um, so, um, even if we have a prior track record of seeing, um, recognizing, uh, the, the devil's work, it, uh, we need to, con it, just because you, 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 you caught the devil the last time doesn't mean you're going to catch him the next time. So we need to stay awake. Otherwise, uh, Jesus might show up and we're not prepared uh yeah okay S silly question in silly answer chapters one and two when jesus is speaking or christ is speaking uh in my bible it's the words are in red mm -hmm. if jesus is speaking here why are the words not in red 
because your editors did not think he was speaking. Um, my translation here has quotation marks around it. See, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is right. Uh, do, do, do yours have quotation marks? Yes, I do. Behold, I come like a thief. Yeah, Blessed there's only one. He who stays awake. Yeah. Yeah, there's only one yeah. person who's coming like a thief. Right. <laughs> so um, this is why I'm not a fan of red letter Bibles because sometimes oh. they get it wrong. And um, it really. Is, is yours red? red? Mine's red. Is, there you go. Some, uh, this, this is the New King James. New King James this is red. Yeah. Yep. There you go. Sorry. So it could it, now it could be a misprint also. Or it, cheap it, buggers it, ran out of ink. It's the end of the book. <laughs> it, it could be because we're not. This is uh, this this chapter or this. Uh, this book is not. Um, oh, this is imagery and everything like that. That's we're hearing true. images and looking at images and that. So we're not actually physically with Christ, uh, with Him talking. Yeah, but in 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 chapter twenty-two, behold, I'm coming soon. Blessed is He who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. It's in red. Yeah. In mind. So so, okay. Please note that the. Um, yeah. The, okay. Please note that the, the Greek here, the Greek here, is not red lettered. <laughs> so red letters are an editorial decision. It is, um, it, and so um, just just note that the uh, same thing with capitalizing pronouns, right? Some people capitalize he and you when it refers to God. The, the the text doesn't do that. That's that's a that's an editorial personal decision, right? Taking literary license. Literary license. Good word. Okay. Chap uh, chapter six. Uh, question six. Um, why are the impure spirits? What are the impure, impure spirits that looked like frogs, and what do they do? <laughs> Just throw you right in the deep end with this question. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to take a big stab at this. I think they are false prophets that go out to mislead the nations. Okay, false prophets. Anybody else want to take a My stab My study Bible said they were the anti-trinity. That my Bible, my Bible says the deceptive propaganda that will, in the last days, lead people to accept and support the cause of evil. That's far closer than the other two options. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that that's. Um... And frogs were unclean. Yeah, were and, and of course, what the, what are the flog the the frogs? What are the frogs? A reference to that's verse thirteen here. Plague in Egypt. Plague in Egypt, right? Okay. So this is similar to the locusts in the fifth trumpet. That's uh, uh, Revelation nine one through eleven. The frogs. Um, I tend to think are, are, are demonic beings. 
Um, Frogs are often used um, as symbols in, uh, in witches with witches. <laughs> there you go. Well, they that's are. Inter- yeah. No, that's that's that's. There you go. Um, uh, probably because of this bit in Revelation. <laughs> Could be. Yeah. Um, that's right. I'll turn you into a frog. Um, which did it? Yeah. So, so they are lying spirits, which deceive human humanity and lead them um, to their own doom. Um, so that's um, that's important to to know. There. Um, where's the next question? Or the next part of the question? Okay. So we have the frogs. Um, what do they do? So what do they do? Just in the text. They, they come out of the mouths of the evil, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Yep. And then what do they do? They're leading all of the other leaders of the nations and the nations to the final judgment where they're going to be condemned. Kind of. of you're, you're making... Don't make the interpretive leap and and simply tell me what the text tells you they're doing first. They're leading well, them they, they, Yeah, yeah, they're leading everybody away from God. No, it's a, you're still making an interpretation. They're performing signs. They're performing signs. Um. Yep, that's right. In order to do what? Cast the kings. <laughs> to gather. To, to get the kings together for what? Battle against a great battle. battle. A battle. That's what I want. Right. So, this, so the text says. Now, Mark, I, I think you're right. Um, that's what's going on. But you're, 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 you're. It's like those math questions where you put the right answer and you didn't show your work, and you, <laughs> the teacher gives you half marks because you have to show your work first before you can get the full marks. That's what's going on with your answer. So you're right, but. I want you but, to but, see. But again, they're going to battle thinking they have a chance to win. They've been deceived. So important that you mention that. Absolutely. Because that's that's that last part. Um, why are the kings of the earth drawn into such a foolish confrontation? Right? We're gonna we're gonna charge against God because they have made they're deceived into thinking they got a chance. Um, the middle part of this question. Is Joel two, Joel three, two, twelve, and fourteen? Did you catch that, Joel? I have to find. In, in Joel three two, the Lord was gathering the nations. Yes, <laughs> funny how that worked. So, so the Lord is gathering the nations. Yeah. Right? He's gathering them together. Um. And he he's he, he's gathering together because his role is, is judge. He's the one who's judging them. He's so who's judging, yeah. So so the devil thinks he's uh-huh. pulling together a last ditch attempt to, to take the throne, right? And what's happening? Is God is actually it's all God is actually behind this, using this as an as 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 his chance to judge the nations. Um, um, yeah, and the uh, question I have is, well, this is written in the Bible, and I can't understand that as a human. 
Satan also must be able to understand this on some sort of level. Is he just that desperate that he just doesn't care? He, he knows God's going to do this and he knows it, this is going to happen. And he's like, well, the only answer I can think of is, well, he, he just doesn't, there's no other option. What other option do I have? I'm going to take uh, as many people with me as I possibly can. That's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or he's such a good deceiver. He's deceived himself. <laughs> or, that's right. But people do that. <clears throat> all right. People do that all the time. Oh, sure. Oops. All right. Megiddo. Let's just talk very briefly about Megiddo. Megiddo is not a mountain. Um, so it says Armageddon um, uh, in the text uh, comes from Har Megiddo. Har means mountain, mountain of Megiddo. Megiddo is not a mountain. Megiddo is a valley. So people have tried to explain what's going on here. We don't really know why John has called it a mountain of Megiddo um, because there is no mountain. It is a valley. You can see my thing here. Where is the study? Oh, come on. Look at that. Just when I want the tab, it, 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 it goes. Can you see where it says Faith Life Study Bible there? You know, can see mm -hmm. that? Yep. All right. What verse is that, Armageddon? Isn't it verse um, 16? 16. Yeah. There we go. Um, where was it? I saw it. Oh, come on. Is this it? 16. 16, 16. Oh, there. Here it is. There. That's not what I want. Where is it? Oh, bother. Is it in this one? Oh, it's in the NIV study Bible. There it is. Oh, look. So that's what the place looks like today. There is, there is a little small hill, but it's not really a mountain. Um, it, but it's a valley, and it's a green valley right now. Uh, but that's what it looks like. That's, that's Megiddo. Um, Megiddo was the spot of a whole bunch of very decisive battles in the Old Testament. Um, um, let's see. Now this is in Moe. Um, where is my... Here it is. Um, so you'll notice here um, significant con uh, conflicts. So Judges, um, Judges 5... Second Kings nine, Second Chronicles thirty-five. So those are just three. I think, um, I think it said that there were twelve different references to Megiddo in the Old Testament. So you could probably look that up and find a little bit more um, stuff there. Armageddon is not the name of. No. Um, is not the name of the end of the world. Um, it's the name of a valley in Israel that was the sabbat of a, a lot of decisive victories in the Old Testament. Um, and so um, that imagery is being used, right? This is at Revelation. 
you're not supposed to take revelation literally literally you're supposed to understand what the imagery is being is is being used for so i mean i could easily say you know d-day or a normandy it's that's better um and they went to battle at the great beach of normandy right you would know instantly what i'm referring to wouldn't you or they went to battle at the and, and you know um, God drew him towards the great battle at Waterloo or something like that. You would know instantly um, what I'm trying to say, right? Um, um, a decisive battle where one side is beaten and, 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 and you know, that's, that's, the, that's the turning point. That's the final battle kind of thing. And that's the, that's the idea with Armageddon here, um, if I understand it right. Um, just uh, so that was just pop that in there um so the 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 frogs um what they're doing is they're they're hopping around and um they're um the other part of this is the euphrates part um the euphrates um is like a natural boundary right um do I need to pull up a map? Do you guys know where Israel is in relation to the Euphrates? Um, Israel's over on this side. And, and then you have, uh, sorry, the Euphrates is here. And here's the coast of Israel and the Mediterranean seas over here. Um, so it's a natural boundary, both for Rome, the Roman empire and for the Israelites. Um, if that um, Euphrates dried up, armies could cross over easily and invade all those areas. Um, and so um, that's, um, that was a big fear in the Roman Empire that the Parthians would come from the East and they would come in and destroy the Roman Empire. So th- th- there's a little bit of that, that kind of, John's using a little bit of the, of the fear, local fears um, to, to flavor his book here. Um, so, um, the rulers of the world are being deceived. There's propaganda in the world that's leading people. I think the, what's the application for all this? There's, there's propaganda out in the world that is intending and leading people. It's deceiving them, tricking them, getting them to instead of repenting and give God the glory. The propaganda out there is to actually hate God and to rage and battle against him. Um, Now, when you put it that way, um, I think um, the application should become readily apparent about what's going on there, right? Um, If you look in the media, um, you'll see that our media um, is especially good um, at at this this propaganda turning people away from Christianity to uh, something else. Okay, moving on to the seventh bowl. Compare the seventh bowl with what we've already seen in Revelation, the sixth seal in the uh, the final. Uh, the vision of the final destruction in 1113 and the seventh trumpet in 1119. Now, compare 2011 and 211. What are all the similarities and what are all the differences? 
So, so first, what similarity similarities did you catch between some of those things? Earthquake, darkness, fiery wrath of God, <laughs> uh, all rolled into one. All rolled into one, right? And, and what? Anybody else have any similarities that they notice besides earthquake, lightning? It, it it seems like all of them indicate that the judgment is beginning or is is about to begin. Yeah. Yeah. That the day is finally come. It's the last day kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. I also thought a little bit too um, about Christ on the cross where it says it is done and he says it is finished. I like I found that uh, bit of symbolism in there too. Um, and also there was earthquakes and all kinds of stuff going on at that point when he died. Uh -huh. Yep, that's... <laughs> You're on to something there. You absolutely are. Now let's see. I want to double check this. Seven, 16, 17. I want to check this. My pages are stuck. Okay. No, it's it. Um, see now, in uh, when Jesus um, says the word, it is tetelestai, which is a perfect. So it's not never. Nobody ever translates it right. It's perfect, and you English teachers should know what perfect is. It has been finished, a past action with abiding results. Perfect, right? We have perfect tense in English. It has been accomplished probably is the best translation it has been accomplished that's what jesus says here this is a simple past tense it's done so and it's and, and it's 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 not the same word but it is reminiscent you're, you're absolutely right it is absolutely reminiscent um i do think john is the one who has jesus saying uh it is it is finished um and that, that's important. So we're going to hold on to your very insightful connection between the death of Jesus and earthquakes for just a sec, because that, that's important. Um, next. So what were some of the differences between those? Did you, did you note any differences? In 20 and 21, we actually see Christ coming in glory. Yeah, right. He doesn't come until 20 and 21. That's right. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Any other differences you noticed? I think you should generally see a, an increase in intensity, right? Uh, from six, from the, the seals to the trumpets to here. It, you should notice the language is more intense each time. It grows, right? Um, okay. Time's running out, so we're going to have to move on here. Um, now, the seventh, the seventh bowl does not reveal, re reveal the collapse of the physical earth. It's not... When you hear about the... the uh, same thing in Jesus. When Jesus says the star, the sun will be darkened, the moon will become like blood, and the stars of heaven will be fall will fall from. And it is not referring to actual physical phenomenon. 
If that's the case, what does it refer to? Uh, I refer to judgment. Judgment. That's 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 pretty pretty bang on. And, um, and also maybe preparation for a new beginning of the new earth. Good. Because when the world was created, it started out in darkness. Right. And now it's okay. returning to darkness. So in order for there to be a preparation for a new beginning, what has to happen to the old things? They have to be cleaned up and got rid of. Yeah. And... Um, when there is a massive socio-political upheaval, how might you hyperbolize that? <laughs> like a purging? Yeah. Like, like, uh, um, so let me put it differently. What do we call movies? Do we have a name? We have a name for a genre of movie where society has collapsed and it's kind of fend for yourself dark and gritty and everything's burned out and it, you know there's makeshift societies or whatever um dystopia. we have dystopia dystopia yep i'm thinking of a different word post-apocalyptic post-apocalyptic yeah. right yeah. um you see you do you see what i'm, I'm trying to get at here um these this language in the Old Testament is, all, is used anytime there is a major socio and economic upheaval. Um, this language is used when Saul dies in, in um, Psalm 18. Um, it says when Saul, Psalm 18 is written in the superscription about when David became, when David be, would learn that Saul died, he wrote this Psalm and how did Saul die? Do we remember from our Saul study? He committed suicide. Yeah. He got arrows in the chest, mortal wound. He found he, he committed suicide. But in Psalm 18, it says that God opened the heavens and came down and there was fire and smoke and the earth shook and all this kind of, right? It uses that cosmic language to describe such a drastic change of events that, that was where God was actually behind the scenes working. That's that's the language here in Revelation. Um, same thing, Jesus in, in Matthew 24, when he says that, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans, right? Uh, it, this is God's judgment. That's Then that's absolutely right. And it's God's judgment, clearing out the old system, making way for something new. Uh, and that, that's the kind of language that's going on here. Any questions about that? That's Wait, actually I'm... what Moses did with the Israelites for 40 years in the desert. <laughs> was prep them, got rid of all the old unwanted stuff, and they were finally ready to be uh, a powerful nation instead of a group of slaves. Right. And he did that by making by wandering around until the last one of them who walked out of Egypt died, <laughs> and then once the last one of them died, then they crossed over. <laughs> yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, um, 
so yeah so so it's it, it's important to see that um that here um um that john's here john john's people would get the po the point the point is not about the collapse of of the physical earth the it's this is a way to describe the collapse of an entire social political system of propaganda um terrible things will happen in human society um and the only fitting metaphor for this is earthquakes and hailstones um that kind of thing um and this happens repeatedly. Uh, it happened to Rome when Rome fell. It, you know, it, it's revelation is a um, describes not a linear series of events. Revelation gives you God's heavenly perspective on the entire span of time before from his the first to the second coming. Uh, maybe you can help me with this the bible somewhere makes reference to birthing pains yeah that's that's um that's in, that? the, that's in the same context matthew chapter 24 yeah. luke 21 mark 13 the uh in the same context that about the the sun the sun being darkened and the moon it, that the, he says these things are just like the labor pains they're not they're not the uh beginning of the end they're, they're not the end but the, they're the labor pains. Yeah. And yeah. And a lot of cults, a lot of cults and false prophets that they, they see some Braxton Hicks contractions and they run off and proclaim the end of the world. So the sky is falling. The sky is falling. Yep. All right. So I'll ask two questions. The questions we ask all the time, what, what would you be select as the key verse in this? In this passage, verse fifteen. That's the one I picked. Come yeah. like a thief. Like a thief. Yep, same for me. Yeah. Yep. It's funny. You might not. This, okay, this is so important. I love this question because it shows me that even though you might not understand all the details of this passage, you were able to pick out what the chief verse was. That is so helpful. If you can't understand a passage, you can say, well, I, I might not understand it, but I know that this right here is the chief verse and, and that'll help you understand the rest of the passage. That's good stuff, guys. I'm, I'm proud of you. Um, Cause you consistently get it right. Um, and are there any lingering questions about this chapter? Something I didn't cover? No? So, okay. oh. um, from just what we're talking about, because I always had in my head, you know, from different Bible studies over the years, you know, confirmation and all that, that things were going to get really, 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 really bad consistently, right? And then God's going to come. But it doesn't seem like what you know the understanding here it's kind of like a cycle type thing and you know yeah. things get bad change things get better right yeah yeah and, and that's we well, gotta have something pretty because you know something pretty bad happen to make because when things get better they're not really that much better right no they're not things that much better history 
over the whole span of history, it's just, you know, mankind seems to continue to make the same foolish mistakes. Right. The problem with dominates. I was raised with the view that things are progressively going to get worse. Um, The problem with that view is there's at least a couple parables of Jesus that don't, that don't jive with that. Um, Remember Jesus said, what will the days be like? Well, they'll be like the days of Noah. People will be marrying. They'll be giving in marriage. They'll have party. They'll take no note until the flood came and swept them all away. Right. Um, Um, so um, Jesus also says, um, the son of man is not coming with signs to be observed. It's not like there's, a, you know, but it'll be like a lightning strike. Boom. And everybody will see it. Everybody will know it. It's, uh, um, and also he describes in the parable of the wheat and the weeds, he describes that they both grow up together <laughs> until the end of the age. Um, so I tend to think um, exactly what you're saying, that, that, that it's, it's, at, at times it's going to be good and at times it's going to be bad. And it, um, one day when, when all of the elect are saved, God, Jesus will come back. That's right. Uh, when all those who shall be saved are saved um, and, and, and once nobody else is repenting, uh, that's when the good Lord will come back. And that could be tomorrow. It could be 10,000 years from now. Uh, there's, there's no, um, God doesn't judge time the same way we do. <laughs> um, and uh, I think it's very, the, the problem is always when you have your newspaper in one hand and your Bible in the other, and you try to judge what's happening in the world based on your 21st century newspaper. Um, somebody living back in the fall of the Roman Empire could have easily sat with their Ro- Roman Empire falling, uh, barbarian hordes at the gates. Um, you know what I mean? Uh, and think that that's the end of the world. Um, and for, for them, it, it is, <laughs> right? In a certain manner of speaking. Uh, but yeah. All right, let's pray. And those who need to go can go. Almighty and everlasting God, through your only Son, our blessed Lord, you commanded us to love our enemies, to do good to those who hate us, and to pray for those who persecute us. Therefore, we earnestly implore you that by your gracious working, our enemies may be led to true repentance and may have the same love towards us as we have towards them, and may be of one accord and one mind and one heart with us and with your whole church. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to The Church Door. Thanks again for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, you can reach me, Pastor Matthew Fenn, at RevFenn, R-E-V-F-E-N-N, at iCloud.com. Look forward to having you with us again next time.